0: Welcome to FinTech Insider. We've now been downloaded in more than 120 countries, isn't that insane? And because of you, we continue to top the charts in iTunes in the business podcast category. So thank you for listening. But remember, be sure to subscribe and be sure to tell your friends to leave comments because we love those comments. Today, we're coming to you from Level 39 in London. And London, of course, as you know, is the heart of FinTech. I'm Simon Taylor. My usual co-hosts are globetrotting on business for 11FS at the moment. The lucky sausages, although I hear they're quite cold. But don't worry, we have Gela with us, the founder of Femtech Global, and we'll be talking all about SMEs, small and medium-sized enterprises, small businesses, and how do they do their banking. We've got some great guests. George Beavis, the CEO of Tide, Gary Turner, the co-founder and managing director at Xero, and Luke Ifilovich, if I've said his name correctly, the co-founder at Penta. But now, on with the news. So on with the news, and uh, joining me at the moment, I have uh, Gary Turner, the co-founder and managing director at Zero. Gary, say hello. Hello. And I also have Luca, I'm not going to try and say your last name, the co-founder of Penta. Ivich Ivich. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and of course, we've got the, the wonderful Gela as guest host. Hey, Gela. <laughs>
1: Hi, Simon. Hello.
0: Hello. Uh, so some some killer news this week. Um, the one I wanted to start with, though, is this idea that um, China is topping the fintech ranking, according to a story on FinExtra. China has outpaced London, New York, and Silicon Valley to become the world's undisputed global fintech leader. So I don't know if there was some belt unification. I'm thinking boxing metaphors here. But they quote our good friend, dbs neil cross who's their chief innovation officer and says favorable government policies and regulations have contributed to the growth of a thriving fintech ecosystem powered by billion dollar tech and innovators such as alibaba tencent and baidu what do we think about china is it you know the galapagos of fintech as our friend james lloyd at ey says where you know it's great they've got a huge home market and you can do amazing things but it never
2: exports or are there things we should be learning from china i mean gary did you have any thoughts there so I think it, it, obviously it's a huge home market, and there are many brands that haven't exited from China. Um, and so I think I, I'm not, I guess I'm not surprised that they're now claiming this title of largest fintech hub because they're so, so huge, huge population, huge economy, lots of innovation, just to serve that home market. But um, will that will that transition overseas Who knows?
1: Well, I mean, isn't that the point of the kind of the European experiment
2: as well? I guess that's what we're calling it now. Post Brexit, uh-huh.
1: um, but the same for North America. It seems like a, an insular market, and it's in a mar- it's a response to the particular nuances and culture of that market. How much is actually exportable? Mm-hmm. But when you have forty uh, percent of of the Chinese population, the consumers actually using new payment methods, where you've got minimal adoption across the rest of the markets. Maybe that is something. It's maybe on not necessarily the tech itself, but it's the user adoption uh-huh. and the marketing of uh, new ways and means to move money. I think that's probably more interesting and probably where we should be looking is how do you get people to on these new um, payment methods or adopting new technology, not necessarily the technology itself.
0: Yeah, so it's not the companies and the shy, you know, it's not learning how the tech works because the tech works probably the same. It's actually the cultural shift and the behavioral shift.
1: Yeah, I actually, I do think nothing new under the sun, right? Right. The tech that we've got right now is still, it's 20 years, it's rooted 20 years ago. It's 20, 40 years ago, whatever it happens to be. It's still, it's always existed. It's just the way we see the business model or we say the way we see the, the utility of it. And in part that really is about the lag user, the very end adopters. They've managed to really cut that user adoption cycle, incredibly short, and mm-hmm. that may be where the magic is.
3: And they use it completely differently. I mean, if you look at WeChat, for example, on WhatsApp, we're not sending money exactly. But WeChat has all these embedded features that you're directly using right over that. So I think in many ways we're actually behind uh, China, at least, so, in that
1: sense. I mean, so there is an argument for saying it's yeah. the, the superior fintech landscape, but is it really the tech or is it no. the way they're using it? It's the business model, Absolutely. and it's all, in my Absolutely. book, it's all down to customer behavior. Yeah. And that would actually beg the question of how do you convince uh, the insular Western consumer to uh, adopt a different behavior and be convinced that a frictionless experience, quote unquote, is better than you know having to interface or go to a trusted institution? You know, logging onto your bank website or your mobile app on the on for your bank rather than doing it in whatever format or, or platform you're already on. Why is it that seems to be the hurdle not necessarily the tech enablement of making the money move seamlessly behind the scenes?
0: A very interesting story. And, and um, next one up really about you know kind of getting people to change their mindsets a little bit is uh, this story in the International Business Times. It says the finTech approach to data science and machine learning is a little bit different so banks and financial institutions have been talking for years about you know, data as the new oil and really taking advantage of data uh, but actually there's um, a chap here dr. Tristan Fletcher the research director at a company called thought machine sort of saying that actually the way banks are incentivized makes it very hard for them to monetize their data the fact that they're constantly being incentivized with cash bonuses makes you very short-term in your thinking and to be long term in your thinking. You would probably be re-architecting your data, spending a lot of time and energy learning about it. Um, And this isn't something that banks are not doing. FinTech lends itself to this specialization because there are many well-packaged problems that need to be solved and can be clearly delineated, KYC, AML, credit checking. So a FinTech company specializes in just one problem you got a bank that's trying to do everything under the sun and think short term. So I think it's a really interesting point here about you know, not just data, but also um, the power of being a specialist in something, the power of knowing about something rather than trying to be this conglomerate that does everything for everyone. I mean, you guys are in fintech companies that specialize. Luca, I don't know if you had any views on specialization.
3: Yeah. Uh, I mean, with us, at least, we've we figured out that, or in general, uh, if, if you focus on one thing that you're really good at, you should let others do what they're best at. Uh, In our case, for example, we want to integrate guys like Xero to be able to provide different fintech apps and services. So it's more about where we're putting our focus on what we're doing and what we're best at.
1: Well, there's there's the other side of the argument, which is all of that data is locked up in legacy systems. So it's finding where the data resides. It's not that they're not able to do anything with it. They just can't find it. So part of the challenge is how do you find the data in order to better utilize it or to find uh, different patterns in, in customer behavior. I think uh, I think my theme for the show is probably going to be around behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, but that actually is probably more of a problem than necessarily specializing, right? Because banks are divided into their basic lines of business. They're experts in that, and they're not blind to the technology enablement that, that comes along with being experts at that. But it's about actually unlocking the data out of legacy systems, not so much, you know, st- not the specialization of it, but it's unlocking it, I think that's probably a bigger hindrance.
2: Getting the blocking and tackling right to borrow mechanism.
1: Yeah, exactly. exactly. So, so
2: you, you wonder how much of a, a reaction to that inertia in traditional banking and financial services fintech is. I mean, is. So fintech stands on its own two feet, but is actually a response to the lack of innovation and the lack of um, new thinking in, in banking. And I think I'm probably going to misquote it, but I'm sure it was Mark Andreessen said that, like, sh- show me an, uh, 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 an incumbent industry or big business that's struggling to change, and I'll show you a bunch of executives that have the wrong kind of bonus structure because hmm. actually they're financially incentivized to not change and to protect what's there. And then all of a sudden, after the, the financial crisis, we see this massive explosion of fintech thinking, and I think in large part as a response to that inertia. And uh, and the point about uh, so where does machine learning and AI play into this? I think it absolutely does, but in a way that it, it stitches into every industry, not just financial services. I don't know about you guys, but the last six months, there's every, every web page I open up, every article I look at, it's machine learning or AI. and it seems to have captured the imagination of the collective like nothing has in a very long time it's the subject absolutely it
0: is definitely the new black and I think um, I I was quoted earlier as saying that um, the only thing more overhyped than blockchain is AI and machine learning because it's, um, it's a lot less intelligence and it's a lot more artificial than people give it credit for. And as a result, you know, there is all of this hype around it. But you know things like deep learning where mm. machines are learning how to do things with a very large data set, you know they're at the very cutting edge of what Google does and they are phenomenal when implemented, right? But it's not a panacea to solving all of your internal problems and as Geller says, if you can't even get at that data in the first place, or you don't even know where it is, then how are you going to take advantage of this stuff? And then secondly, are you even incentivized to take advantage of it when you do? Um, some some interesting points there, definitely. Um, I'm going to move this um, swiftly on because we've got a lot to get through today. And the next story comes from Finnovate, and it talks about Santander investing in a company called TradeShift. And this story is here is is, is on Finnovate, and uh, I think they've picked up um, a $75 million funding round this summer. Um, and I can't find the exact amount that Santander invested, but it seems like uh, here's an organization that uh, is talking about not getting boxed in and creating um, a commerce platform around trade finance, so a cloud-based way of dealing with trade finance. And I don't know if you're familiar with trade finance, but it's basically if I'm a, a, a large retailer in the UK and I want to buy garments out of China, trade finance is the way I do that. So I would go to my bank and I'd say, I want to buy something from this retailer. Can you finance me bringing in these parts? And can you take the risk in case my supplier doesn't deliver to me? This has been happening for 2,000 years. And indeed, a lot of the documents are over 2,000 years old that are used like the bill of lading. So it doesn't surprise me that um, platforms that are cloud based are starting to emerge. Indeed, Xero being a a cloud based platform for all things accounting for small businesses. Um, I think there's probably something there in this really getting into other parts of, of the industry. Gary, do you think there's something in, um, you know, kind of cloud platforms transforming financial services that's finally coming there? And do you think an investment from an incumbent like Santander would help or hinder? an organisation like
2: that? Um, so it's hard, it's hard to judge. I think I mean, w- one observation would be... I mean, so, uh, Ten years ago, fifteen years ago, it was really easy to identify what a platform was because there weren't that many of them. Mm-hmm. Now everybody wants to be a platform. Everything's a platform, mm-hmm. and and I'm, I kind of struggle with the, the kind of the, the fundamental definition of that because platforms upon platforms. Right. Who's the primary it's platform? and the nomenclature nama-
1: is really absolutely just it's right? the wrong language yeah, to yeah.
2: use. It, maybe it was the right language when it was operating systems and kind of browser platforms, mm-hmm. but actually, what is a platform these days? I mean, so we started off on a journey thinking we were going to build a, an accounting app that ran in a web browser ten years ago, and and that has kind of grown and morphed. And actually, there are aspects of what we do that are like a platform. I don't know if platform's is the right word, but that seems to be the, the one that everybody's tagged. Well, um, what's your
3: definition of a platform?
2: Um, and so, so I think it's the you're the hub. I'm um, going to use other other kind of yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know I metaphors. Mean? Yeah, yeah, it's you're you're at the centre of okay. enabling. Uh, different nodes or service providers to connect, and you either going kind to of broker that connection or you're going kind to of deliver some of it.
0: But it's designed to happen without necessarily a lot of effort from yourself yeah. if you're at the middle it's point. It's an automated yeah. traffic
1: yeah. warden, is what it is. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. TM. Get and, drop in and, knowledge. I'm yeah. trademarking that one. Register that
2: domain name right now. I'm
0: going to. I think there's something that comes from Silicon Valley culture where we're, we're building an, a user experience platform that enhances, you know, like just this this BS that comes yep. with just like. It's spin. Let's just be
1: yeah. honest. It's spin. Yeah.
0: That, that everybody wants to be a platform. But I think here, you know, trade finance is something that is heavily paper based, is heavily kind of ripe for disruption. And somebody making something that takes the paper out and automates, you know, kind of all of these different parties talking to each other makes a lot of sense and and interesting that um, a friend of ours a show friend of ours Mariana Belinki was sort of saying that that architecture is the key differentiator for them the fact that you can get rid of that paper and then you can also add value over the top of it once you've got rid of the paper you can start managing the data and doing interesting things I don't know um, if you guys have seen when people move from paper invoices or or, or problems in their small business to to digital but that seems to be where the benefit is so
2: that strap line there that whole we'll get rid of paper and then you can add value is basically the kind of boilerplate for every kind of innovation and platform right now, yeah. whether it's in trade finance or whether it's in small business accounting or whether it's in kind of other kind of uh, 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 ways of engaging uh, different markets and market needs. And I think, and 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 so it's so so congratulations to those guys for developing that and getting that to that point. But that's again another one of those universal changes that's happening in every industry. It's now happening in trade finance. Um, the actual kind of core ingredients of it are are universal and happening in every industry. We see that everywhere. And just to go back to the
3: data conversation, actually, if you have all this data about how the SME or, or retail client is using their financial services, you're able to offer them all these different I mean, platform uh, enabled services essentially, especially through somebody like like It's like easier Xero.
1: reporting actually, and that easier yeah. like easier access to accurate reporting. Exactly. And that reporting allows you yeah. better business decisions. Yeah. I mean, the value add is actually the instant understanding. And you create so much value for them. They're able to deliver the right. product that they need through this data, which a big bank actually can't do.
2: I, I, so the, and there's two buckets of data there there's the, the, the historical, so how, how much did we sell last month or last quarter, and, and, and help yeah. me get to that and make decisions about it. But what's the, the really interesting stuff, and, and I hate talking about machine learning because everybody's talking about it, mm-hmm. but, but the whole idea of then instrumenting your business using, whether it's some of the new stuff that Amazon announced this week, uh, using those machine learning services where you can you can actually start monitoring and collecting data on how your business is handling things like customer engagements or sales leads or whatever other processes and, and gathering discrete data points because you've instrumented a workflow in your business to then look at the data and go, well, actually, how can we optimise our supply chain delivery or how can we get how can we make things happen better for our customers? Or well, you can
3: predict what's going to
2: happen. Yeah, so that's the next the next phase. Exactly. So right, right now, we're only just getting our heads around how do I make sense of this pile of data behind me? Yeah that's been generated just by doing business. That the, the next thing I think that's going to be really interesting in the next five years is actually instrumenting the processes that generate that data and mm-hmm. analysing that. So it's not just
0: the data itself, it's the process that generates the data and how can I optimise yeah. this? Well, let's, yeah.
1: let's actually go back, and I think Gary, you kind of alluded to it. It's actually about the behaviour. It's modifying the behaviour yeah. of the workflow. And it does still come back to your employees' kind of customer behavior, user behavior. And, and again, it's a matter of how do we tweak that so it's optimized efficiencies, where those automated components can come out, we can handle that you know, via tech. But we also start to train our employees to think differently about this and therefore optimizing their thought process and their, their execution on this. So give
0: me an example of a workflow inside an organization today. So um, it might be, I don't know, a workflow that you comes to mind?
2: So, so, uh, so, so somebody could come to your website and let's say you're, you're, you're a you're SaaS software provider selling B2B, and you can trial your product. People can play with it. Um, and then there's a behavior that they generally follow where they're trialing it, and then maybe a week later, they decide, I want to buy this. And they may raise support tickets. They may ask you some questions about, well, how does it work? And you can start to model that behavior you can then start optimizing, well, actually, we're, we're, we're going to extend our trial to a month yeah. or we're not going to offer a trial and begin to actually analyze the discrete steps, even on a simple buy flow like that. And and so I think that where, I mean, some of the stuff that Amazon, we will cover it later, but some of the stuff that Amazon announced this week that, that will just make it much easier to start instrumenting across an organization, our workflow or the business um, which then generates a whole load of other data, but it's about behaviour. Um, so it's, it's less really about interesting.
0: Looking back through the rear view mirror and seeing what I did with my data, and it's much more about how should I change how I'm driving by looking through the windshield a little bit. Right, more. So how do,
1: do I frame somebody else's perception of, of what optimized workflow looks like? Mm-hmm. It's all about perception creation.
0: <gasps> oh, and on that bombshell, um, we're going to move on swiftly to the next story, which says um, there's an article here from TechCrunch because um, Disrupt happened here in London a couple of days ago. N26 announced that they were launching in 17 more countries, but backs away from their UK launch plans, which I find particularly interesting. Is this the uh, the, the 600
1: pound gorilla in the room? Yeah. Yeah. Brexit.
0: Yeah. Got to be right. I mean, why else would you Choose to delay unless there was serious regulation issues. I mean, they could passport in. and um, You'd think it would be a, a perfect home fintech market. I got to say that we we did interview the CEO of um, N26 on episode 112, um, our Berlin fintech special. So make sure you go back and listen for clues uh, right back in that episode. Maybe maybe there's uh, something strong. Did you
1: did you hear it coming?
0: <laughs> I, I can't possibly say it if uh, you go and download the episode. You might find out.
1: Oh. Yeah, but I think it is, um, it's quite interesting that there's a a heavy focus on, uh, CEE for them, for Mm -hmm. N26. And Central and Eastern Europe. Central and Eastern Europe rather than the the Western side. Uh, that's kind of an, that's an interesting choice, but it's also, it kind of makes sense in, in, in terms of, the market appetite for innovation, the market appetite for mobile only,
2: yes.
1: uh, is incredibly high on, on that side of, of the continent. Yeah, yeah, go
0: to weather.
3: How many how many users do they have outside of Germany? Actually, I,
0: mean, I don't know. Yeah. Um, I, I I'd have to check in the uh, episode one twelve yeah. where they might have said. <laughs> um, but I, I but I think it was all German, uh, German and Austria. Yeah, um, it's, it's
3: mainly it's mainly exactly Germany and Austria. So yeah, so, yeah. but I, I think they're getting
0: up there in, in their account numbers. And, and what's interesting is um, at 11FS we have a saying is is being truly digital is is about actually having a digital core of your business and architecting everything to be digital from the ground up rather than having something that was a branch process that was turned into a mainframe process that you put on a website and that you put on a mobile app, actually changing your processes. And that's kind of what you were talking about earlier is is how do you use data to optimize your processes as well. And when we talk to N26, they, they were building their own core for, for precisely that reason. And does that allow them to enter new countries in a, in a more rapid way? Or are they going to have the, the same old challenges? I mean, Luca, you're launching a, a challenger bank as well. I mean, give me your thoughts. Um, I mean, thoughts on I mean, expanding that quickly, especially because they're mainly
3: based in, in Germany and their, their users are mainly there. I think it's really important to understand the behavior, as you were earlier saying. Uh, So, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if it's not necessarily whether it's a smart move or not to expand that quickly. But I really think it's important to understand one behavior of one segment of one retail client, which has X number of transactions per month. And you really get the behavior. Then you can easily move on to different segments of the market. So I think that, I mean, it's, like you said, it's really about behavior.
1: But. It also goes back to that notion of specializing in one thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and part of and the announcement I mean, from N26 was that they were very much going to go localize. So the apps, the customer service, the support was all going to be localized in a local language. And the myriad languages that exist in... Yeah, the, they currently have that. I mean, I love
3: Number 26 I think they're fantastic. I just think that, I mean, if I was running the company, obviously I'm not. I'm, I'm just looking at it more, what we're doing at Penta, it's, we want to focus on very specific sectors to so understand exactly how these people behave. Mm-hmm. If you don't get that, you can't expand farther from that. But And that goes back to the data. How can you use data if you don't understand how people are behaving with it? Mm-hmm. But I, I, don't know, I see you're shaking your head. I don't know what you think.
2: No, no, no. I agree. I agree. But I also, I mean, so the whole Brexit thing must be, um, they can't not have discussed it in the decision. It's mm-hmm. not like they're not aware that it's happening. No. And so it, it must have factored in some way uh, even if just to kind of defer, because until we've got a bit more clarity about what that kind of schedule for the next couple of years is going to look like, I imagine making big decisions about investment in the UK might be wise to hold oh, it's, back. It's, yeah.
1: it's going to affect until yeah. we actually have clarity on what yeah. the exit strategy looks but like. You <laughs> mentioned they yeah.
2: plan to expand
3: in, in the summer, if I'm not mistaken. So yeah, maybe it's about up. the store code, big code, the regulation side of it. Maybe it's not even about...
0: Not them not wanting to expand. It could be a strategy piece. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll have to uh, give the N26 we'll guys. stay tuned for yeah. future announcements. Absolutely. Uh, so the last story this week is about Amazon Go ending checkout lines and ending cash registers. And they call uh, this just walkout technology. When you walk out, your purchase is complete with a receipt in your app and charged to your Amazon account. So if you've used Uber, it's a very similar experience. There's no cash, there's no payment. You just preload your card details and you walk around scanning all your stuff and then eventually you just walk out with it. And it figures out you know, that it was you that scanned it or you that's picked it up. And then you just walk out. It's very similar to that Uber experience. Um, what do we think here? Is this going to end cash registers? Is this going to be disruptive in retail? Any thoughts here?
1: Well, interestingly enough, the article does address the notion of shoplifting. So Mm -hmm. I think in terms of loss prevention, that's a very interesting impact. Uh, You know, you're also looking at at, uh, the liability as a retailer, and that's a fiscal liability, which is kind of maybe a reinsurance policy. Um, If you can actually do the scan, the motion, the the image uh, recognition technology. The one thing that actually caught my eye in that particular article was they anticipate a future Amazon bank card to which this purchase will be attached. So what does that tell us about Amazon playing? Yeah. Actually, what does that tell us about GAFA playing in the licensed banking space? Yeah. So that actually was probably more interesting to me than, than
0: necessarily removing
1: the friction of the point of sale.
0: I'm surprised nobody did this before. Like the Uber payment model has been around for a couple of years. So like uh,
2: Apple Apple have. Apple, you can walk into an Apple store mm-hmm. and use the app on their phone. Mm-hmm. and providing it's a low-value thing, so they won't let you walk out with like a 28-inch display. They're, the, the expensive stuff you have to speak to somebody about, but if you're buying like a case for your phone or some kind of hard disk or something, something like maybe a couple hundred pounds in value, you, you scan the barcode and you just walk out.
1: Yeah, I purchased my last phone from the other phone. And that was only two months ago. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I literally, in store. Oh, God, it's like
0: fun
1: <laughs> But, I mean, that's it, precisely it, right? You're in there. You you click a button. I mean, this takes us from the one button click that they have on the website and in the yeah. app um, to zero clicks. But,
0: but but there's this piece about, you know, kind of having a, an app installed on your phone. And then you present a barcode to a sensor in order to get into the store. And then sensor technology and GPS tracks that you've entered, identifies that you're moving through the store, and identifies what product you pick up. So it's like, it's, it's kind of a, a behavior change there that I guess some people are going to run and jump at and absolutely enjoy, but other people are going to be like, eh, there's going to be a behavior change. So it makes me think two things. One, will consumers kind of adopt this? Probably, I think actually, the Uber generation probably will. But the second piece is like, if I'm in merchant acquiring, in other words, if I am the bank, that looks after Tesco and Morrisons and um, you know uh, Carrefour and Oni and, and all of these international retailers. Should I not be trying to deliver this quickly before Amazon comes and turns this into a platform like they did with Amazon Web Services uh, and takes all my cards acquiring business?
1: Actually, that that's probably the the first point of danger is what's the response for the rest of the market? Yeah. How are you going to make it as seamless as possible? I mean, the self checkout was an interesting notion where you could do that. Mm-hmm. Um, granted, I did that yesterday and spent five minutes, well, more than fifteen minutes trying to get everything. Oh, I made a yeah, wrong yeah. movement yeah. with argument. Exactly.
0: Please remove the item from the bagging area. <laughs> this, it, is that exactly, our future? Yeah. we just going to be removing items from the bagging area, and there are no humans. <laughs>
1: but I mean, that that was that. I mean, in the sense of efficiencies, that was kind of a nice little step. But it's still a point. Of sale, it does feel like even when Amazon is doing this, though, that you're presenting the barcode. There still is a point of sale. It's just, it's before you engage in the acquisition step, and instead of it being a post uh, experience, it's an a priori experience, which is kind of an interesting notion. Behavior is just, it's the same steps that we're we're taking. It's just reimagining the pattern of the steps,
2: and in, in my mind. And who likes waiting in line for anything? I mean, if you think about the concept of going well, we, to a store... We are British, Gary. <laughs> but the concept of going to a store and standing in a checkout to speak to, like, one person that has a cash till is like a 150-year-old concept. Mm-hmm. Yet when you walk into a lot of retail stores, that's what you're presented with. And there must be a better way than channeling people through this very analogue kind mm-hmm. of checkout thing. And I really, when I walk into a shop sometimes and I, I see... If there's like more, I don't know what the number is, maybe if there's more than like three or four people waiting in the queue, I'll often just walk back out again. Life's too short. I'll just leave. And, and and I guess the whole thing about if, if we're offering, whether it's through um, Amazon or, 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 or some other means, you're just giving people the choice of we can just walk in and you're checking out as you're walking out the door. Yeah. And that, in theory, therefore, must mean you sell more because all the people that have turned away won't turn away, they'll come in and they'll buy something, and so it must net. But I don't know about you guys, I don't know exactly how that works.
3: I mean, they said it's machine learning and deep learning, and it, it, it really figures it out, but I don't think anybody really knows how that really actually works.
0: The, yeah, I guess they've, they've got some videos on it, but the proof will yeah. be in the, uh, in the pudding, um, actually, in the grocery aisle.
1: The, well, the, in, the intent is articulated in the patents, which is yeah. the interesting part. Um, but it comes back to this notion of trust, too, uh, merchant trust um, and bank trusts. I mean, we look at institutions as how do we engage in a trusting exchange? This actually removes the the barrier of doubt, and I think that's the interesting part is that it's again more of a, a concept that we're we're playing with, not necessarily a technology we're playing with.
2: Yeah. I, I, so the first time I did it in an Apple store, I actually felt like like a, a bit like a criminal actually. <laughs> <laughs> you and you pick something off a shelf and you, to say, to grab you. Yeah. and you, yeah. s- you scan it and then it says, oh, that's cool. And you don't get a bag or a receipt or anything, it's all digital. And you just walk out the store mm-hmm. and you feel like sub- you're kind of like, well, this is weird. So I spoke to one of the guys in the Apple store and said, how, do you, what do you, how about shoplifting? What's stopping? How do you know I haven't not paid for this? And I think the, the rationale is that again, the the net increment in sales will um, be larger than the increment in shoplifting. And this is
0: Amazon's point about um, actually accepting a lot more transactions and not preventing fraud on the front end, but managing the risk on the back end. Mm -hmm. If if your sales go up by more than your fraud goes up, you've made more money. And also, if somebody does get defrauded and loses out, if you're willing to pay them out, Um, but your sales have gone up, your revenues have gone up, and your margins gone up, then what's the downside? So um, that's uh, all we've got time for on the news. Um, So just a quick word from our sponsor, and we'll be right back. Let's be honest.
4: Most digital banking experiences just aren't that amazing. Learn how more than 180 banks worldwide, including Barclays, Deutsche Bank, and BBVA, innovate faster with Strands as their trusted fintech partner. To find out more, visit strands.com today.
3: Critical Mass, that's what turns the smallest ventures into life-changing forces. Reach Critical Mass by joining Temenos Open Marketplace for fintechs, opening up access to 2,000 of the world's largest financial institutions. Don't just take our word for it. Temenos Marketplace has just won Reader's Choice Best Emerging Innovative Technology Product and Service at the 2016 Banking Technology Awards. Join Temenos
0: now. We make the money go round. Thank you very much to our sponsors. So I'm back once again uh, with Geller. Hello, Geller. Hi. Um, and of course, we still have uh, Gary Turner uh, with us, the co-founder and Managing Director in Xero. Gary, do you want to just give us a little bit of an intro into who Xero are and what they do?
2: We are um, what was the world's most boring category of software, um, uh, accounting software. Uh, You could get into rocket science or lots of really cool things, and we we chose accounting software. But the really cool thing about accounting software is that it's uh, unavoidable. You have to do accounting, you have to do invoicing, you have to get paid. Every business needs accounting, Um, and um, our tagline is beautiful accounting software, which is deliberately provocative, because people don't think of accounting software and beautiful in the same sentence, Uh, we've been going for 10 years, started in New Zealand. Ten years ago, and now have over 800,000 businesses around the world using our software. I've been responsible for our UK business. We're now uh, we're doing pretty well with the largest in our, our space in the UK, about 160,000 customers. and wow. All small businesses. So really, really interesting what's happening in small businesses. It is. It is.
0: It should be on show. So Luca, um, remind us, you're the co-founder of Penta. Who, who is Penta? So, uh, I mean, essentially, we,
3: we've had so many problems with our banks in the past, and ultimately, we think that business banking sucks. <laughs> and uh, I mean, we had to go to the branch, we had to leave our offices pouring, freezing Berlin rain, and um, send money abroad, or cash in a check. Then essentially, we thought, I mean, we want, we want our bank to be as easy as using an Uber or booking an Airbnb. We want to do it in a essentially in the tap of a button. And uh, so we thought to ourselves, why don't, or essentially, why don't we build a bank that that integrates all the best fintech services and apps in one place, and then makes it as easy as ordering an Uber or booking an Airbnb. So that's essentially what
0: we're doing. Sounds good. And we're joined now by George Bevis, the CEO of Tide. George, welcome to the show, and uh, thank you very much for being here. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and and Tide, please?
4: Sure. Um, My own background is
0: exceptionally dull
4: was particularly dull for many years in banking um and then uh was less dull uh for some years being an entrepreneur and finally had the opportunity to um bring those two sides of my history together in the creation of Tide Tide is the banking service which saves small businesses time and money Tide is essentially a uh, entirely small business focused uh next generation banking service uh created by entrepreneurs, uh, for entrepreneurs, and backed by uh, the, f- the fairly high-profile founders of companies like uh, Love Film and Zoopla and One Fine Stay and Songkick and uh, a number of other
0: high-profile British entrepreneurs. Very, very cool. So it's great to have you gents with us. And uh, I think first and foremost, I'm going to ask the group, You know, what qualifies something as an SME, a small-medium enterprise? How would you guys define that?
2: So, so um, one minute is SME and it's SMB, and the language is even confusing. And what is a lang- what is an SM, small and small medium-sized business? And so uh, various definitions vary, but um, in, our, in, in our view, a small business is somebody that could be just self-employed. So even an Uber driver is a small business. It's like a self-employed driver or a window cleaner or, or a, you're a management consultant. Um, up to, and I think I probably top out at about 50 or 100 staff. Anything bigger than that, you're no really small. Yeah. Um, uh, statistically, there are 5.3 million trading entities in the UK, huge, big number. Um, and 98, 99% of them are SMBs. Um, and so the number of really kind of large, medium sized businesses is maybe a couple hundred thousand and 5 million SMBs, and about 3 million of them are self employed. And then there's about two to two and a half million that will be a little bit bigger, employ maybe 10 staff, 15 staff, are usually kind of owner-funded, owner-managed, in single locations often, um, and could be B2B or B2C. So there are, by far the biggest demographic kind of strand in the UK is small businesses are accountable for over half of our GDP as an economy. Which is surprising, and about two thirds of all employment come from small businesses.
0: Wow, it's quite significant. And um, so, I'm interested, George, in, in your thoughts here about um, you know why are you focused on SMEs. Um, you know, I think it was Lucas said, "Your banking for small businesses sucks." I mean, is that is that the case? If, if I want to start a company, am I going to have a, a difficult challenge with that, or is it more being entrepreneur focused? I think there's a couple of points
4: here. Um, the first is yes, Lucas, absolutely right. Banking for SMEs does suck. But uh, the second point is that lots of other things suck too, and those are things that can be sucked, um, solved. <laughs> <laughs> can be solved by um, uh, uh, by a better banking service.
0: Fintech well. Insider does
4: not condone sucking everything. <laughs> <on it. laughs> so um, uh, yeah, unquestionably, it's true. Uh, the, the banking services suck. Uh, Luca pointed to the fact that it, it you know, takes forever to get a, an account, and, and that that makes no sense, and it's entirely unnecessary. So we have a. Uh, product that's in beta now where for months we've been signing up um, small businesses uh, with a three minute mobile sign up, proving that there's absolutely no need for these incredibly archaic sign up processes that banks have. But the other point is that once you've got these accounts from banks, they are essentially identical to consumer bank accounts, except they charge you a load of extra money for the privilege. Um, but they don't do anything else for you reflecting the fact you're a small business. But the information that um, is held by banks in, in understanding the not only the sorts of transactions that you do with banks today, but also the sort of transactions that uh, non-banks like ours in the future will um, make possible, like doing smarter invoicing or taking card payments or uh, doing highly efficient uh, international payments or whatever else it is. Um, If you are able to uh, be smart about how the information around those transactions is used, you can dramatically reduce the admin burden on small businesses. Uh, We uh, did some research with, uh, we have a a few thousand pre-signups, and we asked them about the amount of time they were spending on sort of administrative hassles that take up the managers of, of small businesses, and they were typically saying that um, in, a, in a normal month the, the boss might be spending one day out of the month, so one day out of his, his or her uh, 20 days um, just doing management admin, almost all of which can be automated away by uh, being smarter about the financial services of those businesses. You know, I think we
3: have one thing common the three of us. Essentially, we want, we want to help small businesses essentially spend less time doing their banking, and more time focusing on their business. I mean, people are spending I think status, eleven hours per week on average, doing their
0: banking, which is or up to essentially eleven hours, which is absolutely wow. crazy. Luca, that's a really yeah. good point. I mean that that if you're running a small company, yeah. you have a lot of priorities. Everything's urgent everything needs to get done right now and 11 hours is a long time so how how are you thinking about that at, at penta how are you thinking about making that experience better do you mentioned, to you know like a, a simple sign-up process and you know really automating a lot more is it is this similar or
1: can can i add just a, yeah, another please, layer please. to that question um because you are all small business owners yourselves has that in your experience have those started to inform the way you're designing what you're bringing to market yeah i mean we're, we're all using
3: our own products you know so So, yeah, but
1: talk to more about about the notion of of what that that framework kind of looks like. Just
3: to go back on on the definition of what a small business is to us, uh, we're specifically uh, building a bank for high-tech companies, which are anywhere between 3 to 30 employees, and they're making below $2 in revenue. So we don't know what a small business means outside of that. We know the behavior of these high-tech startups essentially really, really well. Because we've been startups, we know how they behave, we know how many transactions they're sending, we really get that. So for us, that's our definition of it, because that's who we are. And we're formulating or forming essentially the products that we need to use as a high-tech startup towards uh, that for the product offering.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, George, in, in terms of Tide, and you've got an interesting group of people working on this, it's a different level or a different notion of what SME is. And how does, how's your experience doing Tide actually inform the product itself?
4: Um, yes, that's right. So... I would say first that although it is true that the experience of using Tide, and we do obviously use Tide, we've been using it in production as our own current account for the last six months, um, has caused us to discover some things about the product that we have refined. Um, The truth is that the insights that led to Tide, um, it didn't come as part of either iterating our product or... um, doing loads of time in kind of market research in the last 12 months Uh, rather it built on you know in my own case 10 or 15 years of entrepreneurship and in the case of of, uh, some of our backers many more years as well Um, and uh, a strong sense of there being an itch that it was obvious that somebody needed to scratch (laughs) and us as a team Um, driving colossal personal satisfaction from being the ones funded to scratch it. Um, So actually, a lot of aspects of how our product works seem to be utterly obvious. Um, And that's because, as you allude to, we have been the entrepreneurs or been the managers of companies um, uh, suffering crappy financial services, UIs for many years.
1: Well, how's how's that space, the SME space changed over the, the last 15 years? In your experience, and how's, I mean, where's FinTech taking it, or, or is uh, it taking it someplace new?
4: So um, I, I'd say a couple of things on that. First off is the the single biggest change that we observe, and of course we built our company on it, is the growing intolerance of small business owners for having their time and money, but I, I would emphasize probably time more than money actually, uh, wasted by Uh, the crappily bureaucratic processes, particularly of big banks. So historically, the norm, and the norm which still across the country um, uh, people are entirely used to, uh, is that When you need to get something done with your bank or via your accountant or in any of the other um, variety of services you use, you spend ages working out what the services that you need is and then you spend ages uh, trying to get it set up. And specifically, it's with your bank. Um, Although they'll kind of pretend that you can manage things online uh, Mm -hmm. for anything that is non-trivial, they'll um, tell you that you have to uh, phone a switchboard where obviously you can't speak to a human, but instead you might be given the opportunity to schedule a meeting in someone's branch and you'll be told that's like a great favour that the bank is doing, that they're giving you half an hour of their unbelievably valuable time to go and meet them. And then you go and meet somebody and maybe you fill in a form and that form hasn't gone anywhere. Uh, and so um, you have to sit with some banker who has no understanding of your business whatsoever, um, uh, trying to educate them on what it is that you do. Um, in the situation where, for example, if you're applying for credit, um, after this conversation in a credit context will take more like an hour and a half than than half an hour, uh, at the end of which that banker most likely will tell you that he is not going to bother forwarding on your credit application um, because he knows what the bank's risk appetite is, and that month they're not <laughs> in the, mi- the, 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 <laughs> the, the, the mind for uh, borrowing. So um, uh, altogether, the, these processes are, have been horrific. And I think the big change is that uh, small businesses now are just much less tolerant of having their time wasted than they ever were in the past I think there's an expectation that surely you ought to be able to do these things online because you can do everything else online and if you can't do these online with current providers then maybe you should look to new providers.
2: So listen I, I'm a huge fan of what, what George is doing at Tide i, I, I Love that! Um, I'm a very loyal Monzo user, a, a customer, whatever you call somebody that uses Monzo. Mm-hmm. there's the thing: is Monzo software, or is that a bank? Who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, but actually, I think there's a bigger systemic problem, and I think you're right, George, and that the, the, the whole concept of like going to a bank and trying to get them to like help you is really, really painful. And there's lots of opportunity to improve that, whether that's opening an account or just kind of engaging. But I, I actually have a tiny bit of sympathy for the banks when it comes to the, the, the constantly um, criticized uh, uh, accurately for kind of not lending to small businesses. Government try to kind of put pressure on that. Um, the, the reality is if you looked at the, the financial records of most small businesses, you wouldn't give them any money. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think it, banks are an easy target for us to kind of go and have a kick at because of the banks and everybody wants to give banks a hard time. Uh, and absolutely, they deserve that. But actually, the small business communities itself, I think, accountable mm-hmm. because think. I mean, so what's the most popular um, accounting software or system of record in an SMB like a startup? It's it's not accounting software. It's Microsoft Excel. Mm-hmm. It's, it's yeah. Google Spreadsheet. Yeah. And and you pitch up at a bank with like kind of scrappy financial records that are out of date and incomplete. And, and because of that, your accountant hasn't really looked at them lately. And you go and ask a bank th- and you're trying to raise some credit or, or raise some debt to invest in your business, you're probably not going to get it. Yeah. And so, what we see as a really interesting play, and it's absolutely got to be driven by innovation and fresh thinking with, with businesses like, like George and what they're doing at Tide, but actually getting small businesses to take responsibility for their record keeping and accounting and financial affairs is what we're trying to kind of stimulate. Uh, and for the first time give them something that they'll enjoy using because like banks traditional software is kind of not that interesting Uh, it's kind of clunky it's expensive what am I getting for it so give people a fresh experience but get them involved and wrap them up in having their accountant or having a financial advisor checking in regularly keeping on top of it so that when they then go and have that conversation whether that's with with George's bank in, in six months or whether that's with an established bank the bank has then got some actual records that they can trust to make a risk decision on. As I think small businesses have a part to play um, banks absolutely do but, but there's a there's a bigger systemic dysfunction all saying is that,
0: that um, the reason that um, the Almighty was able to create the earth in um, six days and on the seventh day he rested was because he didn't have millions of customers and legacy infrastructure <laughs> uh, I, and I think look you've got to give the banks credit as they are trying to change I know a lot of great people doing great things inside banks trying to make the situation better um, but I, I think the opportunity of being a startup is you can you know really build things from scratch and, and maybe solve a bit of bit of that problem.
1: I kind of want to take it back to Gary's point, and I think we've kind of underscored a little bit of theme of behavior, and uh, accountability shifting is quite interesting. We need, you, you know, banks are pointing fingers, SMEs are pointing fingers, where's the actual line of accountability? But if you're looking at creating a solution that reshapes how an SME is starting to take accountability for their record keeping and for, you know, proving that they are a worthy credit risk. I mean, part of that is, I mean, FinTech is now shaping the end consumer behavior. And by doing that, that, that's, that again is, it's not data driven necessarily, it's process and workflow driven. And it's also convenience and ease. I mean, George, it's interesting when you're talking about time, And um, the work-life balance is actually one of the things that has been mentioned recently as one of the primary concerns for most SMEs. In fact, The Telegraph had an article on Tuesday detailing some of the primary concerns most SMEs uh, have. One of them really is that work-life balance. So interesting that you address that. But the work-life balance also translates into minimizing the manual processes, that are onerous and become cluttered and 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 unorganized, which is part of that accounting and record keeping. So, in a way, the fintech that we're talking about specifically, I mean, in zero in particular, is allowing them to do that. Get back and claw back some of that time, so they do go in with more organized oh, records and they exactly. do go in with a better a better presentation.
2: Completely. I mean, so, so nobody sets out to do bad record keeping. When I mean, you think about the kind of archetypal, I'm setting up a new business, I'm on the kitchen table with a sheet of paper and a calculator, and can I make a go of it? Can I make it work? Mm-hmm. I can get a few customers and all of a sudden I might have a business and can pay the mortgage and stuff. And then you do that and you start your business and all of us, even if it's like accidental and you just do it through necessity, and then two years later, you're employing people and you have 100 customers, not two, and you're still running it on this little kind of sh- spreadsheet setup. And so it's 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 not to be, uh, we should be surprised that that, that can happen. Um, and all of a sudden you're like, oh my God, I'm running a business now, and I, how did that happen? And, I'm, and I don't know where I am. And that's when the problems then kind of come in, because the complexity of running a business overcomes a spreadsheet or a sheet of paper very quickly. And, and the stats are right now, if like so you, you set up a business today, um, let's say there's a hundred businesses founded in the UK today, it's way, way more than hundred, but let's say it was a hundred, then only forty of them will be here in five years. Mm. So the failure rate in businesses, in small businesses specifically, is way off the chart still. Mm. Um, and a big part of that will be inadequate systems, things getting on top of them, not being supported by banks, not having access to kind of guidance and, and kind of support in and that kind of business ecosystem. And, um, and I think that, that if, if one of the things that inspires us is that if half of our GDP comes from small businesses and we can make small businesses even just 5% more productive, then that has a huge ramification at a kind of macroeconomic scale. And we can, if every small business hired one more person, we'd fix youth unemployment in five years. And so we think the, the this is why we completely fixated on small businesses is that there are loads of them. They have lots of problems and challenges, but they also have a lots, of, lots of promise that we can fix or help with with cool technology.
1: So that kind of lends to trends and a discussion on what, what are you forecasting? What are the things that you see coming down in terms of, of trends and especially the way FinTech is addressing those challenges of, of adding another employee or finding more operational efficiencies, refining workflow, and how are how are you stepping into to kind of address what you see coming down the pipeline?
2: Um, I mean, so some really basic things, just like, and it's really been talked about before, is like freeing them up to run their business. I mean, so so one of the big one of the big the challenges that that all kind of small business entrepreneurs face when they first come to accounting is this whole concept of. Like debits and credits and journals and and, and balance sheet and problem we we throw lots and lots of language at them that they're not unless they have trained as an accountant they're not qualified to really understand, and we 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 then say we, you actually have to start codifying everything that you do, and we, we built a tool uh, last year that helps accountants and bookkeepers fix errors. There were that many errors that small businesses make when they're coding up their 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 accounting that uh, we launched this tool that goes in and lets like a bulk super user tool to fix small business posting errors huh. and our, our, our kind of our, our accountants and bookkeepers that, that use the product were like standing up and cheering in the corridor and, and we look at this, there's millions of corrections they have to do every month and, and, and what that says is that small businesses just don't get accounting, it's really hard, it's complicated. Uh, They should be focusing on running their business. So what technology can we bring that kind of makes the accounting part invisible? Yeah, but I think as a
3: whole, the whole fintech industry is such a big mess. I mean, you have to download an accounting software. You have to essentially open an account with a bank. You have to download TransferWise. You have to download a million different apps to do it. And the thing is, I think it's a misconception of essentially what is going to be a bank. Are you guys going to be a bank in five years? Are we going to be a bank? Are we going to be the only face-facing, essentially, bank in the world? Or is it
0: gonna be all these different apps and services that you're using a hundred of And how to do you your get, how do you get that in a bundle and how does it yeah. start to feel uh, integrated? You know, how do you get that clear communication in place? Like you were quoted in an article recently sort of saying that um, if you don't have that clear communication, everything kind of gets screwed up. And I guess it's the same about you know, communicating to your users and helping them understand their universe and everything they're going to need together. Because it's not just a bank account you need, it's not just accounting yeah. software. There's like this end to end piece. I mean, talk to me more about that, Luca. And I mean, it needs
3: to be seamless. You need to be able to send money and not worry about changing apps and going to TransferWise or doing your accounting and then having to go to zero.com and do it. It should just all be in one place and it should be all really easy to do. And I feel like the fintech industry is a big mess. And I, and I think people like, for example, Nigel Verdon with Rails Bank where they're integrating different fintech
0: apps and pushing them in different places for different banks I think that's fantastic cause so you're, just a, a small yeah. note we um, interviewed him on the last episode 127 yeah. um, and so I would encourage fintech insider listeners to go listen to what nigel has to say about that i think that's a really good point you made, luca though it is really about making that seamless Seamless. and and thinking about what jobs need to be done so do i need to pay somebody yes okay now all the other things i need to do they should be lined up for me you should not have to
3: think about it your bank or whatever you want to call a bank should be able to just notify you yourself and say hey you have payroll coming up on a friday click this button a to delay it b to reject it or pay it immediately so it should think for you and then going back to the conversation we had about data the data should be feeding it back in so I you're just that. clicking awesome. and automating it and just finishing a it that's
1: more predictive workflow again that yeah. comes down to behavior yeah.
0: Yeah. and I think there's also something about intent um, and, and Gary there's an analogy we found here of you saying the importance of intent for a startup it's like the difference between shooting a bullet and throwing it mm-hmm. what did you mean by that?
2: so I'd love to take credit for the origination of that it's not, it's not mine I, I heard it a while back and just loved it Um it's that um, we we have this uh, we have this saying where when you're out and you're doing business development and you're trying to build your business and you're trying to create a startup and and you have lots and lots and lots of meetings with people and it's like a, another AGM another great meeting and nothing really comes of it you yeah. know what I mean you you are all very busy and we look kind of industrious and we're role playing having meetings and new stuff and a lot of um, a lot of the time when I speak to to, to startups and, and 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 have the benefit of. Um, we have a community around around our product, and we're, we're trying to support and engage that community of, of ISVs and, and fintech startups, and um, occasionally asking advice. Is that there's no there's no secret like recipe, there's no silver bullet. Just be really clear about what your focus is, and only do that, and don't be distracted by other things. But really, really do it. Commit oh, to it. It yeah.
1: lends to what Lucas said earlier, which is the specialization. And I mean, when you look at the macro sense, specialization leads to economies of scale and it is that focus there you go that's it there okay. you go
0: be, find out what your superpower is and be the best at it there's, um, there's something um, we talked about um, in the earlier session when we talked about N26 and we mentioned you know is Brexit really starting to uh, impact small businesses um, George you, you quoted recently saying Brexit was a perfect scenario for you guys to launch why is that? So I should be clear before um,
4: I sound like an idiot. I do think Brexit is a shambles and a disaster, unless (laughs) anyone um, imagines I meant otherwise. But uh, the truth is that moments of shambles and disaster create enormous opportunity for disruptors. Uh, So before Brexit happened, when we all assumed it wouldn't happen, I had a a real fear that for Tide, that... um, we uh, would potentially have some other startups uh, competing with us, and that uh, banks would uh, realise fairly swiftly that we were going to rain on their parade, and they, um, ones of them had any sense, would thrust lots of resources at trying to compete with what we have. And I didn't, I wasn't worried that they would have anything that was ever going to be as good as us, but I was worried that they would at least try. Mm-hmm. Um, However, uh, in the context of Brexit, the following two things are true. Number one is that small businesses uh, will, in the medium and long term, if not necessarily the short term, be even more focused on uh, very good value um, services uh, than they have been in the past. And, of course, Tide is free, so our pricing is disruptive there, and that, that's a, a, a benefit that, or um, an aspect of our proposition that it, that's even stronger in our Brexit context. And the... Um, the second is that the banks are going to be so cluttered up with writing endless PowerPoints to each other about what they're going to do about Brexit, <laughs> um, that the likelihood that any of them are going to get through um, the, the AGM, as Gary describes it, uh, to, to um, agree to invest meaningful resources in competing the tide is exceptionally low. Do you really so- think you are competing with them? Or do you, do you I mean... I, it's definitely the case that um, the customers that we will sign up, or members as we describe them, their alternative at the moment would be to sign up with a traditional bank. So I, I don't think there's any question that we are competing with those organisations. Um, uh, there may be opportunities in the future to collaborate with them as well. But, um, the, you know, the starting point is that uh, we're competing.
1: Changing the tide. Oh, but, uh, but I'm fine. Uh, <laughs> <totally laughs> yeah. Yeah, but, but that actually lends the question, is Brexit just A distraction and I mean yes we all know there will be political consequences and fallout but right now is it just serving as a distraction and and where's the advantage of just getting on with getting on Um,
4: I couldn't agree but it's a massive distraction for the big banks and I'm delighted about it it's not really much of a distraction for me because our strategy remains exactly as it would have been the um, upside of the architecture which uh, Tyve's employed and I think Penthouse as well is that we're essentially just a software layer and a brand And we can apply that on top of um, what you might call host uh, banks or regulated entities in different countries. So the truth is that in moving into serving the Eurozone, we're always going to have to have a regulated partner there anyway. uh, This maybe changes slightly what our choice of partner might be. Maybe it doesn't actually. That that discussion is happening at the moment. Um,
0: But it doesn't make a huge difference to whether or not we go there. Very interesting. Guys, um, I'm going to round this one to a close because uh, time is against us, unfortunately. But uh, from all of you, really, I, I want to know, um, you know, what's exciting you about the next few years for small, medium businesses? If I'm a, running a small business and as a co-founder of a small business, yes, I am. What should I look forward to from from you know the next couple of years, from Zero, from Penta, from Tide? And, and where can people find out more about your organizations? George, do you want to get us started? Um, So
4: you can find out more and sign our pre-sign-up list at Mm Tide.co. Hopefully that was clear. Um, I think what people should be excited about is uh, we talked about work-life balance. And um, I would characterize it typically, the problem as being as follows, that you spend the nine to five in your small business doing whatever it is that your small business exists to do. And then you spend your evenings doing admin. And um, software And smart solutions represented by the companies around this table and lots of others over the next five years are essentially going to solve that problem. So your admin requirement is going to go away dramatically and you'll get your life back. That's my prediction for the next five years. (laughs)
2: Love that. Uh, Gary, anything to add? Uh, zero.com and we have the worst name ever uh, phonetically I love, your name. I love yeah, it yeah we, we were trying to get arg <laughs> accounting and, uh, be at the top of every list and we ended yeah. up with x and then it sounds like a z so anyway xero.com um what what's what's interesting uh, in the next few years I, I, it, there's like tons of things going to kick off i think so machine learning ai uh, automation whatever you call it that's just such a huge area to go and and, and kind of build on And I and I think if you look at a a, a typical business today, it probably looks quite like it's kind of if it's been around for twenty years, kind of like what it did like twenty years ago, nineteen ninety six. I think in ten years that business is going to look radically different. I think. The work that's, um, that, that, that we're seeing and the innovation that we're seeing in fintech and in small business uh, technologies going to be completely transformational. I've never been more excited about what software is going to, going to do for businesses than I am right now. Luca, any thoughts?
0: Yeah, you
3: guys can find out about us at getpenta.com. Uh, I mean, I would say as a whole, it's more about automation. Everything is going to be automated. Uh, I, think, I think that things are just going to be so much easier to do and you're going to spend less time doing your banking more time uh, concentrating focusing on your business scaling your business focusing on your customers things like that but
0: uh yeah i mean it's uh, it's pretty exciting all right well uh that's another episode gala thank you for being guest host this week you've kicked some a serious pleasure way. and i'm sure we'll <laughs> speak to you soon all right thanks everyone so thanks for listening everyone if you like what you heard be sure to subscribe to fintech insiders Review us on iTunes, we love reading those reviews. And befriend us on Facebook and Twitter. Until next week, we'll see you soon.